Hope you have a wonderful day. We continue with left off. We are in 13b, all the way on the bottom. It's continuing the interpretation of the Megillah. Yay, Oh, one second. We'll wait till the doctor benches here. Okay? You keep the money and do whatever you like with the, with this people, with this nation. We continue on 14. You know what the parable is. One had a mountain, a little mountain in his field. And the other one, another one had a ditch in this field. Achashvedish had like a mound in this field. Achashvedish looked up to the Yidden that they were a special people, like a lofty nation, Hamban, compared to one who had a ditch in this field. He perceived the Jewish people as lowly and degraded nation, like a real Nazi. So the one who added it said, Who will give me? I will pay money to get this mound to cover my ditch. I can fill my ditch. The one who owns the mound will say, I will pay to have this ditch. I can, I can remove this mound. It's interfering in, in my plowing the field. After a few days, and this they met each other. So the one who had it did said to the one who had the mountain, a little mound, sell me, sell me a mound. I'm a little take it for free. you're doing me a favor. You don't have to pay me. <laughs> take it for free. You're getting rid of my mound. I'm ready to pay to get rid of my mound. Take it. So everyone, both Achashvedish and Haman, wished to destroy the Jews. When Haman offered it, he agreed. And Melo, the king, removed his ring. This removal of this ring accomplished more than 48 prophets and seven prophetesses. They prophesied to the Jews, tried to rebuke him, tried to get them to change their behavior. They were not effective. Removing the ring and this terrible decree against the Jews got the attention of the Jews and got them to change the truth. From the the rabbis learned. Well, there were forty-eight prophets and seven prophetesses who prophesied for the Jewish people. They didn't come to add or to detract anything from the Torah. There's 630 mitzvahs. They just came to encourage the Jews to fulfill the Torah. Chutz, the only thing they added is Mikra Megillah. They added the reading of the Megillah. My daughters, what did they expound? <coughs> if when they were redeemed from slavery in Egypt to, to freedom, you have a holiday, you have to sing a song. Here, they were redeemed from death. They were slated to death. L'chayim, to life. Like all again, how much more so? Like Mariach, if that's the case, halal nami name. You should also say halal. On Pesach, you say halal. If you say halal, 
when they were redeemed from servitude to freedom, how much more so you say, how well, when you're redeemed from death to, to life? You don't say halal on a miracle that happened outside the land of Israel. Put him, the miracle happened outside the land of Israel. So therefore you don't say halal. Then the exodus from Egypt also happened outside the land of Israel. And why do we say shira? Before the Jewish people entered the land of Israel, any miracle that happened anywhere in the world is worthy of saying songs. Once the Jewish people entered, let it, the land, the holy land, from that point on, only miracles that happened in the land of Israel, you say a song and halal. Nachman gives a different answer. Maybe he was bothered by the question. This principle, we see Mitzrayim, even though it happened outside the land of Israel, maybe he doesn't accept the answer. So he gives a different answer. Kiriyos is halila, reading the Megillah. It's like halal. You don't need to read halal on top of that. That is halal. Rabbah says, Bish over there says, Abdi Hashem, Abdi there, by halal, you say halal, the servants of Hashem, you're no longer the servants of Padi. So therefore, you say halal, you're free. You can't say halal. Halal, it says in halal, that the servants of Hashem should sing Hashem's praises. The servants of Hashem are not the servants of Achashvedesh. They were still under Achashvedesh's thumb. They weren't freed. They're still in subjugated. They're still in, in exile. So therefore, you can't say halal. According to Rav and Rav Nachman, Kashi, it's a question what time do we learn clearly in the Brayis Mishnich? So what is this? What is the Mishida? So how could they? Why do they have to give other answers? It's a clear answer. It's a Brayis. It's not just a, an Amoyda. Here, but Avner Rishul. It's a. It's an Atanda. Rishul Ben Karach was also a Atanda. I'm sorry. You don't say halal outside of Eretz Yisrael. You don't say halal outside of Eretz Yisrael. It's a b'raisa. Kedetanya. So why do you have to give another explanation? Because the Megillah is like halal. It's the equivalent of halal. Or because you're still the servants of Achashvedas, you can't say halal. So the mother answers, Because once they went into exile, it reverted back. Just like Mitzrayim. Even though the miracle happened outside the land of Israel, but since it was before they conquered the land of Israel, therefore you say halal. So to hear also, once the exile and the holiness of Israel left, there's no longer any holiness in the land of Israel, there's no shmita, there's no yevil. So therefore, <coughs> that, that point on, even, even, a, even a miracle that happened outside the land of Israel, you can say halal. So why don't they say halal? That's why they come up with different reasons. And Nachman says, because reading the Megillah is the equivalent of the Halal. And Rabbi says, because you can't say, Hashem. you can't call the Jewish people only the servants, exclusively the servants of Hashem. They remain the servants of Achashvedes, even though they had this tremendous miracle. And that's it. There's nothing else that the prophets... I'm sorry, there's only 48 prophets. It says that there was a man, Al-Kana, who came from the city, the Messiah, 
and he meant Echad Messiah Tzayfim Shabbat Yisrael. We read the two hundred seers, prophets, who prophesied to Israel. So there alone in the city alone, you had two hundred prophets. How can you say throughout Jewish history we only had forty-eight prophets? The Gemara answers. Really, there were many prophets. There were twice the amount of males that left Egypt, 600,000 times two. There were 1,200,000 prophets in the era of prophecy. A prophet was primarily for own personal experience. He had a prophetic experience. He had like a godly, mystical, spiritual experience. But there were 48 prophets who were written down and recorded because they had a prophecy for the Jewish people, for the future, for, for the entire Jewish people, forever and ever. And that's concluded in the Tanakh. But the million, 200,000 prophets, it was a personal experience. So it didn't need to be written. It wasn't relevant to us. So that's why in the city of Tzaifim you can have 200 prophets. Says another interpretation of the Messiah, the Messiah, the Messiah says him. He says a person that comes from two mountains that watch each other. Elkanah, the father of Shmuel, is called the Messiah Tzayfim because it had two mounts that faced each other across the valley. Person who descended. From people who stand at the height of the world. Who are they? The sons of Kedah. The sons of Kedah did not die. <coughs> so he comes from Shmuel, who was a descendant of Kedah. His father was a descendant of Kedah. So he stands at the height of the world. Initially, they joined the father's rebellion, but then at the end, at the last minute, they did shuva. So therefore, the earth swallowed them up, but they, they did not die. They provided a place for them, a refuge, a kind of three sons. So they landed on an elevated niche within the earth. That's what he means. He comes from those who are elevated, from people who stand at the height. Hashem created for them an elevated platform underneath the ground. And then the 40th year, that's when they came out. When all the people died out, the next generation, that's when they came out of the earth. we learn, taught in the name of A place was set up in high again, and they stood in. Who are the seven prophetesses? Even though it says all the Yemais were prophets, Zerifka and, and Rachel and Leah. But it says Sara, Miriam, Miriam the prophet, Devaira, Neviyam, Chanah, Chanah, Devaira and Barak, yeah. Chanah, the mother of Shemuel. So Miriam was in the times of Moshe's sister. She's the one who had the tremendous, uh, led the Jews in tremendous victory against Sisera. Hannah, the mother of Shemuel, Abigail, David Amela's wife, Hulda the prophetess, was later at the end of the first temple. <coughs> <coughs> 
Esther and Esther. Those were prophets. How do we know this? Sada, the Chsiv, it says in the Pasuk, Avi Milkov, Avi Yisko. It says, the father of Milka and the father of Yiska, her father Haran was the father of Milka and Yiska. Yiska, why was she called a Yiska? She saw with the holy inspiration. Hashem tells Avram and all future Jewish husbands, whatever Sada tells you, you listen to her voice. When, so when, Yiska, when, that's the name we have. Sada told Avram to kick out Yishmol, expel Yishmol from the house. He didn't want to. Avram resisted. Hashem tells Avram, listen to Sada, because she's a prophetess. Abba says, it's Hashem told Avram, call Mashatemi Lecha Sada Shema. Why say Bekaila to her voice? Because it's not her voice, it's the voice of the Shekhinah of Hashem. Miriam, how do we know Miriam was a prophetess? Oh, uh, another interpretation. Everyone gazed at her beauty. Sada was the second most beautiful woman that ever lived. After Chava. But Rachel was up there. Miriam, the prophetess. Anavia, the Torah calls her clearly the prophetess, the sister of Aaron. Why does the Torah say she was only the sister of Aaron? But it says after the Jewish people sang the song, after the splitting of the seed, and Miriam gathered the women and they sang the song with the tambourines. So the Taylor calls her a prophetess. Why does the Taylor only say she's the sister of Adam? She's also the sister of Moshe. When did she prophesy? When, um, before Moshe was born. When she was only the sister of Adam. She was three years older than Adam. And Adam was three years older than Moshe. So by Meta, she used to say, I see the image of Taylor Ben, I see the image of Taylor Ben, she used to say, she was a little girl, and she already said, my mother's going to give birth to the Redeemer. Shosh and Nalan, smiled when Meshach was born, the whole house lit up, Father Amram stood up, kissed her in the head, the prophecy came true. Such a illuminated baby, he saw this was a very special baby. My daughter, you, your prophecy was fulfilled. Three months later, when they had to, when the mother had to throw him into the river, her father rose and struck her in the head. What happened to your prophecy? That this is the Redeemer. Look, we have to throw him, we have to throw him into the river. Put him in the river. It says, That's what it says. And Miriam stood from a distance to know what's going to happen. She never doubted her prophecy, but she wanted to know how is this all going to play out. How do we know the Veda was a prophet? That's clearly in the, in the, in the Navi. That she was uh, in Judges, that she was a prophet, the, the wife of Lapidus. My Aishas Lapidus. What do you mean the wife of Lapidus? Find that the, the, the Tanakh associates the wife with her husband. It's only because the husband is more famous than the wife. Here, she is, she is the one who's famous here. Her husband is, is insignificant in comparison to her. Lapidus, whoever heard of Lapidus? So what does Lapidus do? Not, so why would the Tatum mention she's the wife of Lapidus? So you might have said, She used to make wicks for the tabernacle. This was in the tabernacle of Shiloh. 
continues with the word she sat under the palm tree. Why did she sit under? The, why did she judge? She was a judge, sitting under the palm tree. It could be a different tree. Why? Why the palm tree? Also, the Torah doesn't tell us where. It's not giving us a location. Israel is full of palm trees. So why is this significant? She sat under the palm tree. She, because of Yichud, she's not allowed to be alone with a man. So she didn't sit inside. Indoors, she sat outdoors. Whoever came to her was outdoors. So there was no issue of Yichud. She was visible. It was in public. Those who worry about sexual harassment, it's a very good advice. Always meet in public so yeah, you have no issues. Another explanation. Just like a palm tree only has one hard meaning. The sap of a palm tree flows only up its trunk. The sap of other trees flows into the branches. But the sap of a palm tree only flows up to its trunk. It doesn't dissipate to all the branches, like other trees. So, so too, so this is analogous to the Jewish people. A nation of Israel, generation with one heart for the Father in heaven. Chana, how do we know Chana was a prophetess? So it says, "What the spell Chana v'teimar olatz libi b'Hashem, Roma kandi b'Hashem." Chana prayed and said, "My heart rejoices in Hashem. My horn is exalted in Hashem." This was after Shmuel was born. She's uh, praising Hashem. My horn is exalted. It doesn't say my flask is exalted. Meaning, she was prophesizing that Shmuel is going to be the one who's going to anoint David. And he's going to anoint him with a horn, not with a flask. Because only King David and his family are anointed with horns. Everyone else is anointed with a flask. Because they were anointed with a horn, their reign was prolonged forever. The kingdom of David will never cease. Mashiach will be Mashiach and David. And all the Jewish leaders throughout the generations all came from David. Shaul and Yehu, who installed this king, anointed with a flask. And the reign was not prolonged. That's why she said, That was a prophecy. So we see that she was a prophetess. Why? Because a flask is usually made of earthenware, which breaks when it drops. The horn of an animal is much more durable. It doesn't break. Even when you throw it down, it falls. It remains intact. She said, in Kashem We say it in davening before, before in Kalekenu. In Kashem There's no one holy like Hashem, for there's no one besides you. Don't say without you, beside you, rather read it, which means to survive you. Explaining, since it says there's no, no one holy like Hashem, why does he have to add there's none beside you? That's why he says the deeper meaning is that no one will survive you. Meaning, the nature of Hashem, the Holy One, is not like the nature of man. The nature of man is the work of his hands outlive him. You create something, you fashion something, and then the person dies, and what you fashion is still here. 
the hand is the work of his hands. Ain't circle there's no rock like Hashem. Zigimada explains, ain't circle there's no artist like Hashem. Adam Tzartzur, Al Gabe Akaisen, Yavalata, Baruch Hashem, Krivayim, Nimayim. A person can draw a picture on a wall, but you can't endow it with breath, a soul, internal parts, intestines. Hashem makes the shapes of form inside another form, creates a child inside the mother. Matl but ruach and neshama kevayim nimayim in the with breath and soul, internal parts and intestines. So Hashem is the ultimate, ultimate artist. Is <laughs> he can't say ain't sure like there's no rock like Hashem. There's no nothing harder or stronger. Because he, you're talking about here, he's comparing Hashem to others. Others also are strong, but Hashem is the strongest. How could you even compare? Hashem is omnipotent. That's what he's saying. What he means is, there's no artist like Hashem. We also have art, but our art is dead. Hashem creates a work of art, and it's alive. It comes alive. Avigail, where do we see that Avigail was a prophet? She was riding on the donkey and came down. The says the heart on the covered part of the mountain. After David was upset on her husband Novel, who, who turned David away and then refused to feed David and his men, David got so angry he was about to kill them. So she came down to appease them. She rode down the donkey and she brought food and to appease them. What does he mean in the, in the covert, in the hidden part of the mountain? I mean, a horrible one. She came down the mountain. That Avigail met David involving blood that comes from the hidden parts. He took blood and showed to David, asking him to rule. If, in other words, she was a menstrual. If it's, if it's a menstrual blood and not menstrual blood, she asked him for a logic verdict. He said to her, "Are you allowed to show blood at night? You have to. You can only see the rabbi. You can only see the blood, and the, and the sun. You know, in the day daylight, and you can distinguish if it's red, if it's not red. The five types of red, the shades of red, or not. I can't examine the blood at night. He done it in the fashas balayla. Are you allowed to do a capital case trial at night? You decided to kill my husband because he rejected your ten men and didn't give them food mm-hmm. at night? I'm Allah, David said to her, we continue on side B, made of a Malchusu, but he, he's a traitor to the crown. I asked him for food and he's a traitor to the crown. And therefore, I don't have to judge him. When he traded to the crown, the king could do extrajudicial type of judgment. He doesn't have to stand trial. You don't need the usual witnesses, and he can kill him in any way. He doesn't have to be, or with a sword, but you don't need the regular proceedings of a court. But Shaul is still king. And your eminence has not yet spread abroad, so you don't have the law of a king yet. Stand trial, you can't just but but you have to, you don't need all the all the formalities for a regular court case, you can you can do without. So the argument between David and Abigail was what was the status of David? David was already anointed as king. <laughs> so David felt he was a king. 
the Harigal says, no, but there can only be one king. Shaul is king. You're a potential king. You're going to be the next king. But you don't have the law of a king. <coughs> Others say, no, she agreed, Abigail agreed with David that he had the status of a king. But nevertheless, he says, people are not aware of David's anointment. So it will be strange to people that David just killed someone based on what? David said to her, David said, Blessed be your reasoning. Blessed be you who has prevented me this day from coming to blood, from mur- from killing, killing novel. There's two. Damim means two, two types of blood. What other what other blood is there besides the bloodshed, averting the bloodshed of novel? And Abigail revealed her leg when David saw it. He traveled three parsas. She was so beautiful. She was also one of the most beautiful women that ever lived. After Chava and Sarah. <coughs> Amalah Shmili said to her, come, let's have relations. There should not be a stumbling block for you because she was she menstruated. <coughs> she was an Asia She was a married woman. David was planning of uh, having relations. No, but his plan was to kill her husband, and then he would have relations with her. He would never have relations with her while she was still married. <coughs> so he saved her from the two bloods, the murder of Novel, and having relations with her while she was a menstruant woman. Know that she was, she was a menstrual woman. Not David wanted to have relations knowing if she was, and she says, don't. He didn't know. <coughs> she told him. That's when, at that point, she showed him the blood of the Nida. means there is something else which was a stumbling block. There was an occasion where David did stumble. Mind you, the episode of Basheva. In the book of Samuel. In the end, it was that way. Exactly as she said. So here we know that she was a prophetess. Because she was, she was able to know that this will not be a stumbling block. But in the future, you will have a stumbling block. You and Basheva, that will be a stumbling block to you. So we know she was a prophet. <coughs> she said, the soul of my master shall be bound in the, ba- in the bond of life. And Abigail took leave of David. She said to him, God should do well with my master, and you shall remember your handmaid, myself. Woman talks, she spins fibers to make yarn. referring to this adage, a goose stoops as it goes, but his eyes peer afar. <coughs> Meaning, saying that when Nava will die, please remember me to get married, and David married her. 
it's a, that's what she's she's already spinning. She's already <coughs> she mentioned something about herself. She's looking forward to that day. And went to Chulda the prophetess. So it says clearly the Chulda was a prophetess. Now the Gemara talks about Chulda's prophecy. Yirmiya was alive then. Yirmiya was a prophet. How could Chulda prophesy? The Book of Kings. It was in the 18th year of the reign of Yeshua. And he ordered repairs of the temple. Because the last time the temple was repaired is 224 years before, during the reign of Yoyosh. So when Yechilke, the high priest, was inspecting with the, to, in order to do the repairs, he found a hidden Torah. Some say that Barbanel says this was the first Torah written by Moshe. Instead of being rolled to the beginning, as the Sefer Torah always was, it was rolled to that portion describing the curses. Hashem would visit upon the Jews for not listening to the mitzvahs. Chilkiah sent the Torah to the righteous king, Yeshua. And they read it before. And he was very bothered by the verse there that says, Hashem will lead you and your king. You will appoint over yourself to a nation neither you nor your ancestors have known. Hashem predicted the exile. The exile of Samaria and Judah with its king. So Yeshia then sent Chilkiah and others to Chulda the prophetess to explain whether it applied to him and his generation or not. <coughs> so this was already five years into Yirmiya's prophecy, time of prophesying. So isn't it like a slap in the face to Yirmiya that Chulda is prophesying? He's sending them to Chulda and not to Yirmiya. is because since this was a question of national this was a question of national import Hulda should have said go to Yeremia he's the Rebbe he's the main prophet what are you coming to me for? Firstly Hulda is a relative of Yeremia he knew she knew that he wouldn't be upset at her he wouldn't be upset at her Okay, that explains Hulda. But how about Yeshua? Why did he send a delegation to abandon Yirmiya and send them to Hulda instead? He wanted a, a merciful interpretation, but she gave him a very harsh interpretation. It didn't help. Because <laughs> prophecy is truth. You know, there's no... He was a child from the get-go. Not that she was expecting her to change a prophecy, but maybe she'll, she'll try to soften it, to try to pray for their well-being. Uh, he was out bringing back the tribes. Uh, Yirmiya wasn't there. You know why he sent she, the king Yeshio sent the delegation? Because he was about, yeah, yeah, bringing them home. <laughs> the ten shara, he was in the How do we know that he restored them? He brought them home. So if it says, 
The seller should not return to the sale. It's during the 11 years of Yayachin, when they were sent into exile before the destruction, he prophesies that once the temple will be destroyed, there's going to be a suspension of Yevil. The holiness of the land will stop. The seller should not return to the sale. Is it possible that after the observance of Yevil already been suspended? Because the ten tribes, once the ten tribes were exiled, then there's no more any jubilee. Jubilee is only when the entire Jewish people are living in the land. If they're not living in the land, that's the end of the exile. So how could he prophesy again that will be suspended? Yirmiyah restored the ten tribes. Therefore, they reestablished Yevil. And then he says, after the destruction of the temple, now the jubilee will once again be suspended. And after Yirmiyah returned, Yeshua was a king over them, over all the tribes. Yeshua said, what marker is this that I see? And the men of the city told him, it is the tomb of the man of God who came from Judah and proclaimed these things you have done upon the altar of Beiskel. What's what's Yeshua's involvement? He was a king in Judah. What involvement does he have with the altar of Beiskel, which is in the kingdom of Israel, the ten tribes? Yeshua was a king over all of the ten tribes, all of the twelve tribes, because Yirmiyah brought them home. When Amram Nachman says, I'll bring you a proof from here, that Yeshua ruled over all the tribes. Also, Judah, there's a harvest appointed for you. When I return to the captivity of my people, it says in Isaiah. So, Judah is a reference to Yeshua, king of Judah. Katzir means strength and greatness. So, he says the greatness appointed, appointed for Yeshua is going to rule over the ten tribes when they return from captivity. Yehuda shas katzel abeshuvish was ame. A harvest is going to be a strength. Esther, I didn't know Esther was a prophet. So it says by Yibiyam Shlitz, but there was Esther Malchus on the third day, and Esther clothed herself in royalty. Big day Malchus, well, she should have said in royal garments. What do you mean Malchus? El Shalav Shaduch Hakeder. Esther was clothed in divine spirit. Sivachet says Batilbash. She clothed. Sivachet says Hashem says Baruch Lavsha Samosai. And it says in Chronicles. And the spirit clothed on Masai. <coughs> so it refers to a prophecy. So we see that she was a prophet. <coughs> she had divine inspiration, huh? <coughs> Pardon me. Others say, say that Elam says it doesn't prove because of the fact that she wrote the Megillah. Unless she had divine inspiration, they wouldn't let her write the Megillah. His prominence is not becoming to women. Two prominent women. And the meaning of their names was repulsive. One's name meant B. Ziburte. One's name meant a weasel. Concerning the bee, the vayra is written, and she went and called butter. 
She herself did not go to him. She should have gone to Barak. Instead, she called, summoned him. Chulda is a weasel. The Veda is a bee. So he says, Kerkasha, these two women, Chulda. And the Veda, so the names, the meaning of the names, repulsive, a bee and a, and, and, and a weasel. It's an animal. Kakashta the Chsiba Amrilish, concerning the weasel Chulda, it says, tell the man, she should have said, tell the king. She spoke disrespectfully about the king, Yeshio. So the fact that they bore names of lowly and repugnant creatures should, should have made them more humble. Instead, they became arrogant. They were arrogant and acted haughtily towards Barak and King and King Yeshio. Chulda was a descendant of Yeshua. It says, Ben Charchan. Chulda says that she was the son of Charchan. She was a Timnas Cheres. It's written concerning Joshua in Timnan Cheres. So therefore, Yeshua and Chulda, Yeshua was a, a descendant. I mean, Chulda was a descendant of Yeshua. Some connection. They're related. Hey, so we have a son of 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 a Written elsewhere by the story of Rachav Azayna, when, when the Kalev and Pinchas told her to put the sign of the red string, the core a tikvas of scarlet red. How can Rachav say she descended from Yeshua? If she comes from Rachel, I'm going to say, Pass you, Rachel said to him, Aina the elder. Some say that Rachel addressed Aina black vessel, Pass you, by combining my statement with your statement, the teachings concluded, they guided him and asked for Yeshua. What's the question? He, Rachel, converted, and then, and then Yeshua married. And then Yeshua married her. So therefore, she comes from Rachav, and she comes from Yeshua. Did Yeshua have children? He had descendants. His son Nun, his son Yeshua. So it stops by Yeshua, meaning he had no children. Is she the one that again when he was yeah, so he says no Benile he had no sons, but he had daughters.